0: Coming up on episode 46 of the Up Full Life podcast.
1: But yeah, I mean, as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, like, I think I had more 40-year-old friends than anybody. like, And that was just normal to me, you know? And people, you know, the Dave is the Alex Skolniks, like, the people who were, like, looking out for me as a kid and inspiring me along the way and being, like, amazing, you know, gurus and mentors musically. You know, it, it just... I didn't think twice about the age difference, which is like why people ask me what it's like touring with Marco, who's, you know, almost 20 years older than me, etc. I'm like, I don't think of it in those terms, because music is broader than age, and, you know, vibes are, are forever, you know what I mean? It's not, it's, uh, it, uh, to me, it's not an age thing, it's a, it's a vibe thing, it's a music thing, it's a person-to-person thing. <laughs>
0: indeedy. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 46, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. Summer's here, 46 in your mix, and we're so grateful you are tuning in. Indeedy, and we're back. Episode 46, the Upful Life Podcast. I want to say thank you to everyone that tuned in for number 45, J Rock, Mr. Jake Rakitansky from QAnon Anonymous. Appreciate everyone chiming in with the feedback. And yeah, we're going to keep on keeping on with number 46. But before there, got to show some love and give thanks to some friends like the Ardmore Music Hall, one of the premier independent music venues in the Northeast. I worked for CP Chris Perella at the Blockley in Philadelphia, and he is the co-owner, head booker, and operator of the Ardmore Music Hall. You've heard him on this podcast a time or two. And he runs a spot out at 23 East in Ardmore, PA, located about three miles outside of Philly on the main line. The room has a storied history of 40 plus years, hosting shows as a rock club. Ardmore Music Hall serves fans in the western suburbs and Philly proper. The programming ranges from rock and roll to funk, jam, roots adult contemporary hip-hop americana and just about everything in between so i want to shout out the good folks at ardmore music hall y'all know who you is actually we're listening to marco benevento from ardmore music hall back in 2018 september 22 shout out to cnc media group who provided this audio so yeah ardmore music hall we love you. Philadelphia's illest, you know how they do. And we're going to send it out with a little more green point from Marco Benevento featuring episodes 46, guest of honor, Ms. Karina Reichman. Digging deep into the metal bag today, fam. Yeah, we're in for a good one. But before I get into all that, I want to let y'all know to please rate and review the Upful Life podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Really, whatever your platform of choice. But those iTunes, Apple reviews go a long way to bringing the algo rhythms in this direction, turning people on to the pod, putting it on their radar. Got a bunch of really wonderful reviews on there and grateful for everyone who's already dropped one and stoked for anyone who's inclined or has the time to drop a line and leave a review on iTunes, Apple podcasts. You can also reach me directly. Sometimes people like to send emails and just say, Hey, or let me know what they thought of the show, you know, feedback, constructive criticism, suggestions, affiliations, Whatever your pleasure. Please hit me up. B.gets at upfullife.com. That's B.getz at upfullife.com. Also, got to plug the Patreon. We got a Patreon where I hook you up with some, uh, you know, mixes, music, rare stuff you might not find online. It's just really a way for you all to support me, the work I do here at the podcast, Different journalism endeavors, music, or otherwise. Appreciate the patrons that have already signed up. Patreon.com backslash Life. Promise you a set of stickers and a little bit more with a bonus podcast on the way. And speaking of bonus podcasts, you can hear a sample of my uh, premium podcast with Eric Krasno on his platform. It's part of his plus one with osiris media and our thing is called the guest list and just last week uh, they put up on the regular feed on spotify and itunes and stitcher etc a sample of an hour of me and Kraz talking about Questlove, love d'angelo the soul the whole nine so yeah check that out on Kraz's Plus one channel the guest list and with that I'm going to give you a little bit more of this Pantera Cemetery Gates live from 92 and then we'll get into episode
2: 46.
0: Episode 46, like I said, I want to welcome Ms. Karina Reichman, quintessential New Yorker multi instrumentalist. Really just an icon at this point. Even though she's like in her late 20s or whatever, she's accomplished so much uh, and done it in such a way that not only commands respect but like admiration and awe. I've been paying attention to her for you know a good while now, really because obviously she's been playing with Marco Benevento for years, but uh, just kind of always noticed that she has so many irons in the fire and is connected to a number of scenes, music, genres, communities, um, and you're gonna hear all about that her uh, storied ascent from the Upper East Side to really smack dab in the center of the zeitgeist in 2021 best part she's a metalhead i'm a metalhead i noticed that she was one when she was posting about anthrax a number of years ago relative to their among the living tour and of course i brought that up and that just opened the door for her to explain to me just how deep and rooted her you know hesher vibes are much like my own so i knew we were kindred spirits and after this interview i am only further certain uh so with that you're hearing no occasion her latest single karina reichman again she works with marco benevento and she's dialed with just about everybody so let's get to it karina reichman episode 46 the up for life podcast Well, it's a long time in the making. And I gotta say, I've been standing for my guest for several years now, just kind of angling for one day when we could connect for a proper convo. So I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome the one and only Karina Reichman to the Up Full Life podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Yes, indeed. And, uh, I know you're a quintessential New Yorker. Is that where I'm talking to you from right now?
1: You are indeed, yes. From, uh, from the belly of the beast. Manhattan, New York. You've heard of it. I'm there. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Right on. Um, just for the hell of it, uh, give us the 411 or take the temperature of the city right now uh, in terms of, you know, getting back to life and vibes and and what is your experience as a quintessential new yorker with like you know how it feels right now june 2021 in the city june
1: 2021 in the city i mean uh it is bustling it is extremely vibrant people are thrilled the last four days have been unbelievably hot, but it seems like today has actually cooled down a bit, which is fantastic. And by that, I mean now it's like a good, you know, 73 as opposed to an 88. Um, Big difference there, but it, um, it really feels better than it has been in the last year plus. In just about every way, people are celebrating, people are getting back together with loved ones, people are you know, looking to reconnect after a year of, uh, you know, a lack of connection, if you will. So it really, it's, it's never felt better just because, you know, that the, the lack thereof of all of those things I just mentioned was brutal for a city that thrives on that. And it's like, you know, people live here for those reasons, you know, and, uh, It is an amazing thing. So I'm very, very, I've always been proud to be a New Yorker, a native one. And, and, you know, uh, nothing cements it further for me than seeing the way it is right now and the way, God willing, it'll continue to go.
0: Word, word. Yeah, that's inspiring to hear, 100%. And, you know, I've been kind of, you know, tuned into the week by week New York thing thanks to you have your own podcast, which is fantastic. And I've enjoyed it quite a bit, especially the format uh, of the sort of like week update, if you will, in the, you know, jam, rock, diaspora. Um, So yeah, since we're talking for my podcast, I kind of like to start in the here and now and then hop in the way back machine. But you and Rafi have this really wonderful chemistry, friendship and rapport. Uh, You know, talk a little bit about, uh three from the seven.
1: Oh, she's the best. I mean, yeah, and it's been it's been amazing to be able to actually have a bit of like a record of this last year, a verbal record, you know, and we've kept it going, uh, you know, remotely this whole time and it's uh it's an amazing thing. She's she does all the work. I just show up and hit record and then it gets passed off to somebody else, but she comes up with all the ideas and all the stories and whatnot, and I just come and wax poetic. And I don't know, it's, it's a really great thing. She's super intelligent, super thoughtful, and uh, just a lover of music, much like myself. So it's a true pleasure to get to talk to her weekly. And uh, especially in the last year, it's been just a nice kind of check-in with a dear pal about, and you know, we, we spared no, like, you know, every week, we told it like it is every week, like in terms of how we're feeling, just interpersonally and whatnot, like, you know, I'm sure if I went back now, there are some weeks there that were not jubilant, you know what I mean? They were dark for sure. It was a, it was a scary time and, uh, it's, it's really amazing to have just that kind of record of it, even just personally, you know, and a lot of people have told me that they've listened every week and that it brightens up their week and that's amazing. I can't believe people listen to it. It's amazing. And, uh, my mom listens every week. She's always excited when it's Wednesday. So I, I, I do it for that. If not um, every other reason, I just laid out for you. So super, super fun and very happy to have that sort of partnership with Rath.
0: Yeah, it's rewarding on the listening end, um, especially hearing uh, just two women talk about music, talk about their experiences, music, young women, comparatively speaking, you know, for the scene, if you will. Um, it's really just... A joy to listen to you. I, you know, we have seldom spoke, you know, here and there at a festival or a show. You and I, but when I was preparing for this, I was like, man, I really feel like I know Karina because we have the privilege of listening to you and one of your good pals shoot the shit on a weekly basis. And like you said, it was an emotional roller coaster. A lot of the fears and uncertainty and sort of holy shit factor um, we all, you know, had. You know, you you work through that. Um, on the airwaves and it was comforting and I wanted to just on behalf of all the listeners you know thank you for just being real and and being open to discussing the concerns and fears and the horrors and and of course the inspiration and and there's certainly you know around March things in general have taken a turn for the more positive and the more more hopeful and The conversations on your show definitely reflect that. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of start there and say thanks for doing the pod. As somebody who does a pod, you know, it is a lot of work. And it's also something, you know, regular and and it carries some weight. You know, people really lean on folks like you and musicians and artists that that they, you know, adore for, you know, for you to shepherd them through the darkness. And I know that's not a responsibility you asked for. But I think it kind of comes with the territory and, you know, you do an admirable job of just, you know, being yourself. And that's really, you know, there's an there's a engaging, alluring thing to, you know, three from the seven. So your mom's on point, Wednesday appointment listening. My mom listens to my pod too, so I know the feeling. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's amazing. It's great. So
1: great. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And thank you. That means, that means a lot. I appreciate all the kind words surrounding all of that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Of course. And, and staying in the here now, like you're dropping new music. I was just watching your latest video. Um, oh, yeah. So I, w- I noticed uh, you dropped the experiment. Is that is that because it was an experiment and now it's a thing?
1: That is correct. That is correct. And that has since been dropped. That's been dropped for uh, a year. That's been dropped since uh, I guess over a year. Actually, that's been dropped since June 2019 when we opened for Krungbin. Um, Because before that, that, you know, my first song, it's called Plants that I put out, I put that out on June 14th, 2019, and we opened for Krungbin, I believe, on June 19th, 2019. one of those things where that was you know such such an amazing opportunity I was like Karina this is ridiculous like you're you're getting all these opportunities just based on you know your name but you don't have any recorded music like people and it was just completely you know people would just come to see us in- improvise from the ground up like not even like uh, oh we're gonna play like an A section a B section a- and then jam and then come back to an A section like no like it was just fully 90 minutes of improv up until then so like that was very much an experiment you know uh and since we started like you know I had the epiphany thank god I did be like uh you know fellas I think uh, I think we should write some songs you know that's kind of part of this like songs you know so uh so once once I started doing that just chopped off the experiment and uh and went with just Karina Reichman which I feel um liberated by in a lot of ways because experiment kind of denoted to me I mean you could look at it both ways it felt like either very like late night like wook fest to me or it felt like very like blue notey to me and like I don't like anything that tells me what I should or shouldn't be or like puts an idea in people's heads of what it is you know so that was it's been um liberating to me to just be like it's my name so like you know it's gonna be whatever I say it is and you'll have to come to see it to find out or to listen to it and even when you listen to it good luck figuring out what it is so it's great that's uh that's my take on it that's an sure.
0: organic evolution you know like yes and um I think you know I've read your interviews uh over the years and of course listened to a couple appearances you made on other pod so I know you've probably talked about a, a lot of this stuff already but just to make sure I got the chronology right, so you were basically improvising to kind of sharpen your tools for a major sit-in, and from that uh, chemistry experience came your own project. Did I get that right?
1: Uh, there was no major sit-in. What's the major I
0: sit-in? It was like a uh, Martin...
1: Oh, oh, sure, sure. I wouldn't call it a – I wouldn't call it a – that was – I, like, put together – this festival reached out to me, and they were like, hey, like, could you put together an all-star jam featuring you and some other people? And I was like, absolutely, you know, and they gave me a budget, and I called Nels Klein, John Modesky, Billy Martin, and Marco, and we we jammed for, you know, whatever it was, 75 minutes, (laughs) pure improv. And, yes, in in so doing – I was like, oh shit! I gotta, I gotta sharpen this tool set, as you say, totally. And I called my two very good friends from NYU, Adam November and Chris Corsico, guitar and uh, drums, respectively. And I was like, guys, I need to practice improvising like a lot because I'm about to do this set with my heroes. And they were like, oh shit! And and then through that, I was like, wow, we actually sound really good together, you know? And then. Everything totally just came organically through that. You know, people would be like, hey, could you play a set? The first show, if you will, that we did was this uh, Freaks Action Network Benefit, um, which was like December 2017, like December 21st, 2017. And that was completely all improv, and they just reached out to me being like, well, you know, I had never done anything under my own name. I was only like Marco Sideman, you know, so... For whatever reason, I was like, "Hey fellas, we've been jamming. you guys want to go and improvise for these people and and people dug it and then we just kept doing it and then as as I mentioned, like just slowly but surely things started to develop and songs got written and it it all spiraled out from there. yeah.
0: Yeah, I love it. I was really impressed with the relics thing you did a few months back, and it seemed like the the project had really you know gotten its legs whether it be songs or just the, you know, seamless mix of improvisation and jamming and then songs. Um, and then, of course, as Thank I mentioned, you. the the new video for No Occasion, which is like really uh, feel-good music. I, I can't really Certainly. like put it in a genre. <laughs> it just feels fucking good. And, and it's got a whole lot of like your personality in there and um, So I was just curious, like I see I was reading the credits, directed, edited by Charlie Chalkin. Um, Did you conceive the video with the song? Did somebody bring you a treatment? I was just blown away by the whole package, the song, the video, the vibe, the message, all of it. So how did you arrive at that video project?
1: Oh, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, my my buddy Charlie Chalkin, who has become uh, a really excellent Co collaborator and conspirator, and all of those things, you know. We, long story short, I mean, and this is, I haven't told anybody about this, but like he wanted to make a documentary about me, which has, which has started, you know. So he's, he's filmed a bunch of, you know, just Karina behind the scenes type things and whatnot. And then, you know, I, I told him that I was going to release this song and played it for him. And I was like, dude, like, you know, we got to make a video. And he was like, holy shit, absolutely. And, you know, we we crafted it together, you know, he came up with the concept of having that sort of uh, day into night shot, basically, where it just, you know, it, it gives the viewer an idea that, you know, it's a 24-hour loop of this lunacy, you know, you're just like, you know, there's no occasion, day, night, whatever, and of course that goes with the uh, the philosophy of the song, and my... My personal life philosophy, but anyway, it's uh, it was super fun and just you know I think he did a great job of you know I I don't like things that are like too on the nose you know and I think it's it's abstracted nicely while carrying through that narrative if that makes sense and I think um, I don't know that's that's important to me just generally speaking so he did a beautiful job we shot it in one day on my roof in my bedroom uh, and in his studio. And of course, the few shots in Union Square of me walking in a bikini, barefoot, juggling some limes, like, you know, you got to just do it. You just, you just got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, all that was great. All that was great. I love the way it turned out. And Charlie um, just has a, a magnificent eye, in my opinion. And I look forward to working with him on all sorts of things in the future. So it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. All of it, the. Documentary, uh, I'm sure, is going to be a hit because, you know, people love you, love your vibe, love your energy, love just how you carry it. Um, I know I find it super inspiring and it makes me feel good to see you in action. And I think that that video is like a really like brilliant mix of that sort of DIY aesthetic and also just really great production. I mean, it looks professional as fuck. But it's also thanks. like you know, like you just described, pretty bare bones operation, and and that's awesome. So you know, I hope that people get wind of this. I know like our community has, but I think that no occasion has legs. Like I could hear it in the you know macro zeitgeist of pop music. You know, <laughs> thanks, so thanks,
1: man. Thanks. Let's
0: let's let's hope it goes to the moon, as they say. But, uh,
1: to the moon. Let's go. Right. Let's go. <laughs>
0: But I, Thank you. Yeah, Of, of course. I mean, I, I'm not alone in, in thinking this and feeling this way. And, you know, people rooting for you want to see you soar. I was thinking back to like when I first kind of like, other than you playing with Marco was on my radar, uh, that like made me really take notice. And it was when you posted that you went to the Anthrax Among the Living anniversary show.
1: Oh, yeah. Lots of them. Tons right. of them. Uh, Probably like. 14 of them
0: (laughs) really that i didn't know
1: i saw yeah that testament anthrax tour that was celebrating all that i yeah i i went to (laughs) it's actually embarrassing yeah totally it's not embarrassing it's fucking awesome but yeah totally no i was was... the roof come on all right hammer smith are you ready
2: from new york city the biggest fucking band in the world anthrax
1: Oh, totally. No, then they did tons of them all all around here, you know, and that was like kind of surrounding the big four. Right. And uh, yeah, no, totally. And I'm in that video. Uh, it's called The Devil You Know on their like on that new album they put out in 2011 or whatever. Just like footage of me rocking. Really? Out was that like worship music
0: maybe? 2011?
1: Yeah, worship music. That was it. Right. That was it. Totally. Nailed it. So yeah, oh, before I so ever funny. got
0: dragged to my first Grateful Dead show, I was a full-blown hesher like i still am underneath it all so anyway when i saw you were like you know throwing up the horns like i didn't understand the relationship with alex skolnick yet or anything so i'm just like blown away that the bass player of marco's band is like not just like the metal of the day but we're talking like like you said the big four and of course among the living is is just iconic epic thrash record you know on the quote-unquote mount rushmore if you ask me and, and oh, that I like super agree. Put put you on my radar. I was like, there's more than meets the eye here, and then uh, in term or meets the ear, I might say. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, kind of taken aback by that, and been, you know, following your career and and your moves, varying degrees ever since. But I wanted to get to the bottom of, you know, your metalhead side. Like, uh, I took the opportunity to, you know, do the YouTube thing. Came across this. Heavy metals, religion, religion in heavy metal. It's like a snippet of a research paper that you wrote.
1: Oh yeah, totally. So first of all, what's that
0: acoustic Orion you're speaking over?
1: Oh, uh, the fucking uh, oh Rodrigo e Gabriela, the Brazil. That's their version of it. Oh, fantastic! My God. Yeah, that was that was the soundtrack to my youth for some What was the, what was your just,
0: entryway into metal? How did you find your passion for that style of music?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I I loved, you know, as as like a, a kid, like we're talking like 10, 11, 12, like whatever, um, like thick 70s groove-oriented rock riffs for sure. And be that mountain humble pie, James Gang, like obviously zeppelin you know and then even rush obviously sabbath huge influence like all that stuff and all that is just gateway drugs to metal in my opinion and just you know i i one thing leads to another and you're just like oh my god and then you know you discover metallica and then you discover slayer and then you discover pantera and then you discover you know and then of course you know I'm a big Mastodon fan. I love Gojira. I love Clutch, though I wouldn't put that in the same, you know, uh sentence, except I just did. But you know what I'm trying to sure. say. Like, all of that. I just, I have I have super, super wide ears, you know, and I'm also, I'm a huge hip-hop fan, you know, from, you know, way early on as well. And, you know, I grew up listening to Beastie Boys and Tribe and all that, and you know then getting into way heavier versions of that and those are in my mind like you know distilled like the two heavy genres of music hip-hop and fucking metal you know and I love both of them endlessly and they produce the same uh reaction in me which is just sheer emboldened power, you know, and I like, I, you know, as a kid I'd be riding the subway listening to Pantera and then I'd be listening to Biggie and it's like the same thing to me, you know, Um and I love Sepultura, I love Soulfly, I'm a Big Max Cavalera fan, I love like, you know, the Cavalera Conspiracy, all that stuff, and anyway, I, it just came, you know, one, one thing after the next and just being a music nerd, you know, I just was like, I found myself in high school in this kind of crew of kids that like gravitated towards metal because you know it, it's it's virtuosic to play a lot of that stuff you know and of course like that was appealing to me at the time for that reason you know it's like holy shit he can play you know the orion solo or whatever it is you know and it's just like those solos are intensely intense and like it's it's pretty cool just on on a technical level which appealed to me and so I was in a band. My my high school boyfriend was uh, was very very into heavy metal, and he had a band called Shitkill. I swear to God <laughs> that I play that I played in at certain times and. played uh in a band called white collar crime llc with jake from roxov um and uh we opened for sick of it all and we opened for h2o and we opened for the Curl mags like you know i all throughout like high school and then like early college i was doing tons of like you know metal gigs and that that band had an ep that was produced by uh pete from the bouncing souls you know so i had also just a huge Love of punk rock as well, and my first first band was an eighth grade punk band called False Arrest, and that was like you know uh, an eighth grade band is an eighth grade band, but like you know uh, less metal, more punk, very you know into Fugazi and a Minor Threat, like call it, all all that stuff. So. I don't know, I just have really wide ears, you know, and if you, if you like all that stuff, and I know you do, you know, I, I I have an appreciation for so much music, I would say all music, like, it's kind of crazy, and that, you know, I, I don't think of it as a detriment, often, except sometimes when you're writing music, and you just, like, are like, oh, yeah, like, let's do, uh, you know, eight bars of this crazy thing that has nothing to do with the rest of that (laughs) song. (laughs) You know, just because you're like, ah, fuck it, you know. It's all all music, man. Like, you know, you can like a lot of different ingredients, right? Like, I love, you know, vinegar, sour cream, caviar, and... Uh I don't I'm trying to think of something that doesn't fit there. Um and Sour Patch Kids, but you're not going to put them all in the <laughs> same soup. I don't know. I'm I'm tripping on that. But you know what I'm trying sure. to say? It's uh it's about it's about trying to figure out. <laughs> anyway, it's it's all super great. But yes, I am a fervent metalhead, no doubt. And um, you know, was front row at the Big 4. Cut school, went to Yankee Stadium. We were in the New York Times front page of the arts section, like hilarious, and uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, all my all my metal friends in high school, if you will, like they were the people I played with in a, in a big way, you know, and like that's just like e- either we were, you know, with a crew of people like jamming Fish and Grateful Dead, and Holland Brothers songs, or we were playing Metallica songs. Lamb of God, Mastodon, whatever, all the Panteras, all the System of the Downs, like all that stuff. So, you know, that, that got me good at playing with people, really. And just the intensity through which that music gets conveyed is huge to me. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of things that are in their most distilled form. And I think a lot of metal is just exactly that, you know, and that's an inspiring thing where I think a lot of hip hop is that as well. And I think that's very cool. And I don't know. It's uh it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful genre. It's a beautiful thing. And it just, it elicits something from the listener that you don't get anywhere else. In my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I got to say like halfway through that answer. I'm just like, this girl's the coolest. You articulated <laughs> my own trajectory as a youth, like, you know, licensed ill and Paul's boutique on cassette at the same time as Master of Puppets and you oh, know, yeah. and it was just as a kid growing up just soaking it all in, the the parallels between the energy and what, you know, you know, courses through the listener is really similar, even though sonically the music might be very different. And you know, speak of it, Anthrax indeed was the group to really uh, bridge that gap with the bring the noise with public enemy and like you can either curse them for giving birth to rap metal or you can also you know i guess we got to say run dmc and Aerosmith too but you get my point like sure. the, the the camps were really divided until that generation um and it was it was it was awesome to just kind of like soak up both and uh, yeah i love hip-hop and metal just like you and it's interesting to hear because you're from new york and you reference a lot of that you know, the New York hardcore scene, of course, Cro-Mag, sick of it all. There were also lines in the sand for years between punk and metal that eventually got blurred. And I think the byproduct of the sort of coagulating of all those different scenes and styles is an artist like yourself, um, you know, because, <laughs> oh, yeah? you well, you know, you're just steeped in all those genres and classics and, and not just like you like the music. I mean, you have relationships with the artists and you, you have almost like a like a anthropology approach, not unlike, you know, we put on the, you know, metal headbangers journey, a little snippet in your research thing. You know, just looking at music from that perspective, I try to adopt that myself. But just hearing you talk about as a fan, as a kid, how the music made you feel, where it led you is like an anthropologist. So it's interesting to hear that. And it, like I said, it articulated my own path you know which may have been that's so 15 cool. or 20 years before years but still you know nearly identical in the you know gateway to the rest of it so
1: that's so great and i love that and it's so funny because like you know like as you say i was listening to all this you know at least 20 years too late you know all the music i was into it's like you know you had to find the pockets of, of kids your own age who were also into it which is extremely slim people were listening to like lmfao you know what i mean and like <laughs> like so like it was so and that's why you know i'm i'm an only child you know and they say like only so children, am i like pe- oh sweet there we go They well, they say you know we peer with adults you know and whatever and that was certainly true just because like you know the music led me the music i was interested in led me to older friends in more ways than one and of course you know older musicians and older you know kind of mentors and collaborators and people who had, like, the same ears for the same stuff I was interested in, as opposed to, like, this, like, regurgitated pop music that, like, my peers were listening to, if you will, for the most part, for the most part. And then, of course, you find your people. Um, But yeah, I mean, as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, like, I think I had more 40-year-old friends than anybody, like, and that was just normal to me, you know, and people... You know the Dave Drywitz is the Alex Skolnick's like the people who are like looking out for me as a kid and inspiring me along the way and being like amazing you know gurus and mentors musically you know it, it just it, I didn't think twice about the age difference which is like why people ask me what it's like touring with Marco who's you know almost twenty years older than me et cetera I'm like I don't think of it in those terms because music is broader than age and you know vibes are are forever you know what I mean it's not it's uh it uh, to me it's not an age thing it's a it's a vibe thing it's a music thing it's a person-to-person thing and you know I've been called an old soul fuck all that like I don't know about that but I I know what moves me and what I've gravitated towards musically has just been anachronistic my whole life (laughs) even though like I love a lot of current music now and and whatnot but as a as a high schooler like I was trapped between like 1972 and like 1998, you know, and I was in high school from, you know, 2009 to 2012. So anyway, good talk, but that's, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, makes uh, perfect sense. Yeah,
0: And I would say, you know, from the outside looking in, I understand the old soul thing because you connect with people, you know, older than you and music older than you, but at the same time, you're just a lightning bolt of youthful exuberance. So there's nothing old. Thank you. There's nothing Thank old you. about that, you know? <laughs>
1: no, certainly and,
0: Yeah, I wanted to, you know, I've heard you talk a little bit about, you know, picking up a guitar, playing the White Stripes. Uh, what was the age and sort of your process for learning your instrument? Did you start on the bass or the guitar and, like, did you take lessons? How did, how did you actually, like, pick it up?
1: Started on guitar. Um, And like you say, somebody, when I was in eighth grade, you know, put a acoustic guitar in my lap and taught me Seven Nation Army. And I was so blown away that my fingers could move in such a way to elicit a song that I could hear. And it was like one day to the next, just completely shifted, you know, and I was just obsessed with this thing. And I couldn't believe I could make it make sounds that I recognized, and that like sounded good, you know. And I just, you know, if 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 Karina had a guitar in her hand, you couldn't talk to her, you know. Yeah, I mean? <laughs> was just like completely engrossed in what I was doing and whatnot. And you know, I played bass kind of simultaneously. You know, I I've, I always say, you know, I was in like five bands going nowhere <laughs> throughout like you know high school and most of college and whatnot. And like you know, three of them I played guitar in, and two of them I played bass in that type of thing, and. I would get called for different things, and if they need a bass player, cool. If they need a guitar player, cool, you know. I was in the backing band uh, on America's Got Talent playing bass. I backed up the pop star Julia Michaels on the Today Show playing acoustic guitar, like, you know, who's kind of like whatever. And then people would call for different things, and, you know, I, I would be able to be flexible on all that. And it was not until Marco... Uh, which was when I was 22, where I was like, "Oh shit, Karina! Like, I think, I think you gotta be a bass player, like, really, you know." And that's when I I buckled down on the bass and kind of uh, have played very, very, very little guitar since then.
0: Wow, that that you made the choice at that precipice when you were joining Marco's band—that's really remarkable. I didn't, I yeah, didn't know. That's super cool to hear, and also like really brave, like trial by fire, flight, fly by the seat of your pants, shit. Really?
1: That's my shit. That's all I've ever done. <laughs> I have no, like, you know, and I'm not, I I always say, like, I had no conception of any of this. And I have no, like, no conception of where it'll go. I have no expectations. I have no, like, lofty goals other than just to make the music I want to make, you know, and, and see what happens. Like, I really, like, all of this stuff, like, I just thought I would work in the music business until I got the Marco gig. And even then, I kept I kept my job, at Rocks Off till last year where the pandemic shut it down. Like I was totally had a full-time job as as well as touring with Marco and all those things I just detailed for you. Like I was completely still booking shows and advancing shows and being the GM of a company that put on concert cruises uh, all summer long in New York City, among other things, you know, and land shows and all that stuff. And, you know, I just, I think I'm just too, realistic you know I'm extremely realistic when it comes to stuff and like you know I I say yes to things I make opportunities happen for myself just by virtue of I don't know like knowing the right people being hopefully a friendly fun presence to be around and and whatnot and hopefully you know being all right at my instrument and and being able to carry the tune if I need to carry the tune obviously but uh, I don't know everything that I've done has just been dictated you know life dictating reality and life dictating what's happening and where I'm going and what needs to happen next and me saying yes, learning the skills, doing the thing, learning the songs, whatever it has to be, like, that's that's just been my M.O. I don't know why and, like, whatever, but I was never like, oh my god, I'm going to be a professional musician, obviously, even if I was spending all my time playing music with my friends and in a million bands and whatever because there was just no clear path forward when I say five bands going nowhere, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, again, it does it didn't have to go anywhere at all, you know, but it just wasn't, there wasn't any kind of upward movement that would make me say, oh, totally, you know? Like, I wanted to play music for the rest of my life, but I also had a full-time job at a company where, you know, I could be like, okay, after this, like, I'd probably work for Bowery Presents or I'll probably work for Ticketmaster or I'll probably work for Live Nation, like, whatever it might have been, you know? Um, just because that was just clearer, if you know what I mean. But anyway, thank God it worked out the way it did, because that would have been a nightmare for me. Um, <laughs> looking back. So yeah, that's that's the vibe. I think that's, that's, that's a
0: really good example of the old soul juxtaposed with the youthful exuberance because the seat of your pants, fearlessness, the like feet first is very, uh, you know, youthful. And then you speak about your perspective, your ability to kind of uh, adapt to situations, navigate relationships, create manifest opportunity. That's some old soul shit. That's some like KG sure. veteran stuff. if so I wanted to ask uh, with regard to like how you're moving through life and your career and as an artist or in the rock soft capacity, I know you do something with like a guitar pedal. How much does your experience at NYU, the music invention and distribution, like your that... That process that experience in a collegiate setting, about the quote music business, how has that shaped your you know career view path perspective, et cetera
1: I'll tell you, Brian, I'll tell you uh you know. That's a great question, and it's it's uh, it's it's multi folded <laughs> if you will, uh, because you know my parents are both college professors, right? My 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 mom is the head of the French department at Columbia. My dad's a philosopher, teaches at Columbia. They've both taught there for a million years, et cetera, et cetera. Like you know, we I come from a very intellectual like background and all that stuff and whatever. And of course, there's this program at NYU called Gallatin the school of individualized study where it was just very very clear that that was the only place I could have survived in terms of a college thing because they let you you know the self-motivated 18 year old that was me you know construct your own curriculum your own major your own concentration etc etc and of course that was extremely appealing to me because if I had gone to Columbia or Barnard or whatever I which you know would have been all in the family if you will uh that would have been far too constricting and you know i wasn't about to read like the odyssey and the iliad again you know what i mean like i had you know i needed to i needed to move from the upper west side to downtown and be immersed in the shit i wanted to be immersed in you know so my parents bless their hearts they're amazing the best people ever they it's you know and they're extremely intelligent they like you know it's not like they had dreams of me going to Columbia. They were like, oh my God, this NYU program that's like literally catered to you, you know? And, and it was. So what I'll say about all that is that for me personally, I am very grateful to the NYU School of Individualized Study Gallatin because what it did for me is it bought me time, most importantly, and it, they allowed me to, quote unquote, intern All for, like, every semester for Rocks Off, which I was, they didn't know I was, you know, getting a salary and, like, moving up in the company. But, like, you know, I, you could basically, like, you know, make the case that as long as you were given new opportunities and different, I mean, not, like, not opportunities, but new responsibilities, you know, within the same company, you could keep interning there and you would get four credits. So that's exactly what I did. And I met... Jake from Roxoff, uh the summer before my first semester at NYU and I started interning for him that August you know and then never I worked for him for the next seven and a half years you know so it was it was it was great for me on that level because I had a lot of people rooting for me and who I would be able to talk to and be like hey listen like I, I was the least involved in stuff happening within the four walls of NYU. I can count on my hand like two friends I made at NYU. I literally could not have been more one foot out the door in lots and lots of ways. But they gave me the freedom to do that and to you know, like you know explore my my career and to craft something. And you know I had an amazing advisor named uh, Bill Rayner aka Billy Rock, who, you know, I took I took his songwriting class, you know, three years in a row and, you know, did a lot of like, you could do uh what do you call them? Uh I wanna call it individualized studies, but that's not what it should you know, it's when it's just you and a teacher and like two kids, whatever. And like you have to again, it's like they really give you the opportunity to craft your own thing and to if you're self motivated which you better be if you go to this school because otherwise you're going to be lost as fuck and like, no, you're not going to know what to do (laughs) because it's not a roadmap, you know? You have to think about this shit and whatever. So long story short, it was awesome for all of those reasons, but I, um, you know, was working my job from class. You know what I mean? I was answering work emails. I was doing all this music stuff on the outside. I was not, you know, I I didn't, you know, Go to any clubs or like any sort of school things and i like you know I, I i kept it all kind of on the dl if you will like you know it was just kind of those four years where i was working rocks off, i was playing music i was doing all these things and uh and they gave me the time and space to do all that and for it to all congeal and of course like the timing worked out fantastically because i got the call from marco my like you know january my last semester before I graduated, you know? And so that was insane. And my first gigs with Marco were March of that year. So I was totally like prepping my thesis defense and like doing all that stuff at the same time as learning 40 Marco Benevento songs and all of those things. So it just, for whatever reason, it was, it was an amazing thing. And I would highly recommend it for a person like me because they, they really, they did a lot for me in, in those ways. So I'm I'm super grateful I got to go there and you know kind of flesh out my own thing within their their walls and their boundaries and I had a great teacher Amanda Petrovic who's awesome and writes for the New Yorker, New York Times and Pitchfork and etc. She's just a great music writer. I took her class twice. Uh, independent study was the word I was looking for before we did an independent study together. Like all these things and. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of thoughts. I'm a big fan of, uh, reading a little and writing a little and reflection and all these things. So I definitely got my fair share of all of that. And, uh, and yeah, that's my, that's my long winded answer. But again, on, on the, on the subject of, you know, l- kind of life dictating reality, <laughs> that, My, you know, my thesis was literally invention and distribution in contemporary music. And I named that, like I created that. And that was exactly a reflection of my life at the time. Invention being the creative side and distribution being the business side. And I was doing both simultaneously that entire time. And what a privilege to get to explore those things in tandem And at such a great school with fantastic professors and get to do, you know, uh, get credit for working in the real world and meeting the real people that like, you know, I think a lot of kids get so ensconced in the four walls of their institution that when, you know, it's over, they have no connections on the outside, no friends on the outside. Everybody moves away and you're just left, you know, sitting on your thumb like, what the fuck? What am I doing here? Like, what's happening? So... I certainly didn't have that problem, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's that's my long-winded answer. <laughs>
0: no, it's, it's it's illuminating and definitely you know explained what I was asking, and I just find the whole concept of that kind of higher learning—it's got to be just liberating, empowering, emboldening, like spitting you out into the into the adult world um, with a head of steam because yeah, you like created this course of study that was uber applicable to your life as an artist in the music business and the opportunities present themselves whether it's rocks or later in marco uh where you were able to like prepare yourself in a field of study for your life's work which is your passion i mean i was just thinking like my own college experience i was in abandoned college And I would be going to like my, you know, stereotypical classes of, you know, philosophy, world religion, stuff that I was interested in, but certainly was not going to really play a role in in my career, my life. And then, you know, buttoning that up, hustling up the hill to UVM, living and learning and making it to band practice, you know, they were not in any way connected. It was like, all right, I got to get through these classes so I can go jam. You know, and it's funny is right. Marco used to come to those band practices at UVM. Have you ever met his friend, Michael Marquardt? They went to high school no. together. Yeah, they are like childhood buddies. And
1: Michael's a big so.
0: fish kid and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he lived at Living and Learning um, at UVM, which was like the sort of arts and sciences place where bands practice and theater practice and stuff. But it was also residential. And I guess, yeah, Marco would come up ostensibly, I think, to buy weed or just to hang with his hometown boy. And they would pop into our band practices. That's actually the first time I ever heard him play was on my own keyboard at my band practice. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. No shit.
0: And I've like, you know, listened to you talk about how many people come up uh, and tell you, oh, yeah, I saw the duo when like older dudes like me, like, oh, let me tell you about this time. So I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But I will say that my (laughs) affinity for Marco is rooted in that and all the way up through the duo. And, you know, thanks to him, I know who you are and what you're about. So... It's all connected, you know, like it's, it's really this sort of diaspora of musicians and fans and um and the sort of intergenerational thing um, is how we, you know, get turned on to someone like you and how you are able to just sort of find your way in this community that already existed. You just leap into and people, you know, are just really taking to what you do. And a lot of that, as you've noted, is the people that you've been around in your, you know early years in playing music and stuff. So I wanted to kind of just get the 411 on Dave Drywitz, um, that, you know, Tomato and the House of Rock. Um, I loved Sound of Virgin back in the back in the day. I remember seeing them at the wow. first Bonnaroo and a bunch of like shows, Robbie Seahag, all that stuff, you know. You you wow, were probably in so elementary deep. school.
2: Rock and roll Rock and
0: To find out that you not only knew them, but that you performed with Sound of Virgin, And that is, in essence, like the embryonic stage of everything. So I wanted to ask about that experience, whatever you'd like to share about those guys and the House of Rock.
1: Sure. Wow. I mean, I can't even believe you're, you're so you're deep on that. That's amazing. Yeah. So my whole when I was talking about, um, you know, playing a lot of metal. You know, yeah. and all that stuff. A lot of that, and 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 the dead stuff, and the fish stuff, and the almond stuff. Like I did, I did. Uh, we called it Thor, right? Tomato's House of Rock, Thor, right? That's an after-school program that took place in the music building, which is an iconic building on 38th and Eighth Avenue um, in Manhattan. It was basically, you know, a rock school, a rock collective for high schoolers and and middle schoolers, whatever. Um, that was led by a gentleman named Tomato who is the lead singer and drummer uh, of a band called The Sound of Urchin. And I did that throughout high school, and that's where a lot of, you know, my real friendships came from, in terms of, like, like like-minded kids from around the city who just wanted to, you know, get together after school. We'd pick a set list, you'd have to learn it week to week, and then just jam and work out songs, and then we'd have, like, you know, shows quarterly or whatever it was, and... You'd have to prepare for the show and then pick a whole new set list, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a super excellent time in my life to be, you know, a young musician honing her craft, you know, and just being around very inspired kids who were really just psyched to be playing with one another. And that was all great. And then my first tour ever, this is my senior year of high school, my last semester, right, is we went out. Like, Tomato basically asked me and a couple of the other kids if we wanted to, you know, be in the Sound of Urchin for a tour opening for the Two Skinny Jays down south. And, of course, we were down. And uh, that was amazing. One of the better experiences ever in the sense of... Everything. You know, that's when I got really bit by the bug, truly. And, uh, you know, we played Irving Plaza, we played 930 Club, we played, oh my god, uh, the Norva in Norfolk, Virginia, we played Ziggy's down in Winston-Salem, etc., etc. It was so, so fun and so amazing. And then, yeah, from age 18 to 21, I toured In the Sound of Urchin, as first a guitar player and then a bass player long story short um and then and then that stopped and then very quickly thereafter was marco like within four months essentially um and those were incredibly informative and insane and you know wild years no doubt and played a lot of shows learned a lot of music all of that and um and I love that music. I still, to this day, really love that music. But during that whole four era in high school, you know, we would have different guests and different shows and whatnot. Like, you know, you'd have a, a musician come in and pick a set list and perform it with us. And one of them was Gene Ween. And Gener came and picked a set and we all learned it and whatnot. And Dave Drywitz would come to those rehearsals just to hang out. And that's when. We met for the first time, he saw me play for the first time, and we just kind of became fast friends, and the rest was history, you know, and he kind of just became a real mentor, a guru, call it what you will, but, uh, you know, we, we would hang out and play, and then a few years after that, he asked me if I wanted to play guitar in his power trio, Crescent Moon. And of course, that was the the greatest honor of my young life up until that point. I was like, holy shit, because I huge Ween fan, huge, 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 huge. So still like, you know, ridiculous. So all of this just, I mean, it meant the world to me. It does, it still means the world to me. And, and Drywitz was the guy who, you know, when Ween was disbanded from whatever that was, 2011 till 2016, uh, he toured in Marco's band as the bass player, as we know. And, Ben Ween came back and came back strong and J-Rad formed in those few years. And, you know, he he said himself, he's like, Karina, I've got some miles on me. Like, you know, <laughs> Marco tours a lot. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it was a lot. So basically, you know, he went to Marco when that all kind of came back and he couldn't continue touring in Marco's band for those reasons and was like, Karina is the only person I want to fill in for me when I can't do it you know, and Marco was like, that sounds great, you know, love Karina, let's give her, let's give her a shot, or whatever, and uh, yeah, then I became the sub, and then after a little, like, where I would just, like, fill in where he couldn't do it, because, you know, Wien was playing Bonnaroo, or whatever, and uh, and then by the end of that summer, I was, you know, the torch was passed, and, and it became my gig, and it's still you know what what he did for me and what marco did for me in that respect like that is that is the the pinnacle the the you know there's nothing that'll ever be so you know that 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 changed my life is what i'm trying to say and of course it did but it really did change my life so that you know set the course for everything else that was to come and everything that i'll ever do like now is is you know i hope to honor that and I hope to do that for some kid someday who I meet who's just like, you know, obsessed with this shit the way I was. You know, and you see something in somebody and you, you give them an opportunity and they rise to the occasion and everybody likes it. And it's like huge shoes to fill. Like that's, you know, again, I take none of this lightly and I'm such a huge fan. And I was, I've uh, you know, a huge Marco fan from the time I was 14, 15. So yeah, I was going to ask
0: that um, before you got oh, whiff yeah. of, of- – Maybe playing it with him from Dave or whatever. How familiar huge you were? Huge fan. Huge. Big fan. Right on.
1: Like absolutely, and like you know, listened throughout high school and college and whatnot, and you know, hyper aware of him and all of these guys, and you know, thinking that I would be, you know, involved in whatever scene you want to call it. Like it was all. It's still shocking to me. It's it's a huge honor. And I don't like the word honor, but it is like, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I just hope to, to keep it going and, you know, to never do anything that would make any of these guys disappointed. And like, you know, all of that, like they, they they're just the best humans and they, they made so much happen for me, as you know. So super, super grateful to know them and for their mentorship and just like everything I've learned from Marco over the years, obviously, you know, can't even be, properly stated in words, but you can only imagine what I've learned from being, you know, up close and personal with somebody like that, who's just such an inspiring and inspired person, and who has this sort of same relation to kind of like musical freedom that I have or want to have or whatever it is, like, he's just so, he's, he's liberated, you know, and he's up there and we are smiling at each other the whole night, like every show, it's unbelievable when you meet somebody who has that same energy that you do and and marco and i i really think we we have it you know no doubt and it's it's an honor honor to play with the guy and honor to learn from him and honor to learn from all these people who who came before and you know carved the way what we do isn't easy you know it's fucking it's a crazy crazy life to try and be going down this path you know i always joke i'm like ah you know if this doesn't work out, you know, I I could have been a paralegal, you know, (laughs) no, no interest in that. Uh, but you know, it's just my, my go-to like, you know, straight ahead career (laughs) in terms of it just being the polar opposite of, you know, life in a van, life on the road, life in a rest stop. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's different, you know, but there's, if you, if you feel it the way I feel it and have felt it, there's nothing else. You know, and I really have had that taste for it since that Sound of Urchin, Two Skinny Jays tour. I was like, holy shit, this is everything. And I will stop at nothing to feel this as much as I possibly can. Yeah, that's as so, rock and roll yeah. as
0: it gets right there, you know, hey, like in, in the quintessential sense of get in the van, you know, like let's fucking do this. So I totally. I love that. and and. Yeah. Just like a dream come true to be a huge fan of an artist and then just organically be incorporated into the band. And I think it's safe to say that like you referenced yourself as a side man or should we say side person? And yeah, Marco's name's on the marquee. It's still his gig. But you have really carved a niche for yourself on your little, you know, third of the stage. The energy, you know, vocals, um, the sort of kinetic chemistry that you and Marco have. Um, I'm... I'm just, you know, astonished that, you know, from such humble, wide eyed beginnings to have stepped into this role. And, you know, I'll say a lot of us come to see the show to see you, you know, as much as we love Marco, like you are bringing something new and fresh. And like I said, full of youthful exuberance. And, um, yeah, you can just tell how much you love it. And that's infectious.
1: And thank you for all the kind words. That's very, very kind of you. I'm, Seriously. Yeah.
0: I'm not alone. And, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a peanut gallery and a cheering section, you know, all over this great land. But, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about bass players, female bass players, who roll with dudes. The lineage that, you know, it's, it's astonishing. You know, Kim Gordon, Sonic Youth. Darcy from Smashing Pumpkins. Tina Weymouth from The Talking Heads. Kim Deal from The Pixies or The Breeders. Melissa off Del Mar. Sean from White Zombie and then of course lara lee with krungbin and yeah you slide right into that beautiful lineage of badass female blaze players who can mix it up with the boys have you ever like you know considered that or like seen yourself as somebody who plays with the boys or is it uh you don't even realize that you're just like just another player on the stage
1: <laughs> it only enters my mind in interviews where people invariably bring it up. <laughs>
0: my bad. <laughs> to be honest, my bad.
1: no, no. I mean that with love. I mean that with love. But that's just the the pure, honest truth of it. Because I've always, you know, like i i I've always had more. Kinda, it used to, when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old, like, it was just me and, like, a pack of boys. That was my friend group, for whatever reason. Like, you know, I was real, I was a real tomboy, real rough and tumble, like, did not want to sit still, played a ton of sports, or just, like, you know, in my building growing up, we had so many, like, boys, for whatever reason, you know, that were my age, and that we would rip around on skateboards and scooters, anything with wheels on it, you know, throwing balls, like, you know, all everywhere, just like having so much fun. And for what you know, it's not like I, I I certainly didn't set out being like, I'm only gonna be friends with boys, but like I had, you know, you can count on one hand, the female friends I had (laughs) for a long, long, long time until I got a little older, honestly, uh, you know, but growing up, it was, it was almost, I mean, it was hilarious, you know, it was just me and like, you know, 10 dudes, always at the lunch table, et cetera, et cetera, my friends in my building, whatever it was. So that's, it 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 like, it doesn't cross my mind just because that's kind of always just been the case for me and not for better or for worse, just for happenstance. Like, you know, people are, I I really like to think of, you know, you meet people, man, woman, other, doesn't matter, like, you know, and it's like, you know, you vibe with a person, you're vibing with a person. And same, like we talked about age, Doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Like, I think, you know, and for me personally, like, you know, I, I, I certainly I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a girl, I'm a woman, but like, I, it it doesn't even, I I don't know, like, I feel like I don't want to say I supersede gender, because that sounds ridiculous, but it doesn't, I don't think about it much. In terms of like, oh, here I am, a woman carving the way. (laughs) Absolutely not. Like, not one bit, you know what I mean? I really, in terms of my own personal, I'm only reminded of it in very few, you know, circumstances where people like, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, you load into a club once in a while and the person there is like, you know, looks at me and says, hey, the merch booth is over there, you know, Uh, and I say, oh, great, thanks, you know, (laughs) you know, small things like that, and I know, you know, I should say, like, oh, and I'm so lucky to have had such a great experience as a woman when we go through, you know, hell, so many women do, you know, but I think to, to say that I'm lucky presupposes that it's inherently bad or inherently difficult, which, I mean, again, there's a lot of historically, ugly things that have happened to women, uh, you know, and I'm not making light of that for one second at all. And I am so proud to be a woman. And yes, again, if people, especially women, get any sort of confidence boost or whatever they need from seeing me do what I do for them to go balls deep into doing whatever it is they want to do, that's a huge honor. And again, I would have never even thought of that or putting that into words Except I've been told that a million times by women, so again, like this is all—it's—it's—it's it's, it's happenstance. It's just completely like you know, I just—I have never been like, oh my God, Karina, you're so outnumbered by men. <laughs> like, sure, you know, I, But I just—it just—it's uh, not part of. It's—it's um, it's not part of like my psyche. I think you know what I mean. I don't know why, or whatever. And I'm not again not making light of it. I'm so. You know, grateful to have had really deep, meaningful, powerful, platonic relationships with men, boys, you know and people take me seriously or they don't and they can fuck off like i don't care you know what i mean like i don't i don't know if they take me seriously i don't they have to know know i take you know i don't know if i take me seriously you know what i mean like it's just it's it's just music man it's just notes we're just here you know bpm's are temporary vibes are forever what are we talking about here (laughs) like you know you either play the thing or you don't and like you know sure I, I don't know. So to me, to the again, another long-winded answer for you is I am obviously extremely inspired by the Tina Weymouths, the Kim Deal, Kira from Black Flag, like, you know, all all of them. And of course Laura Lee and I are are great friends and we talk all the time and I'm, you know, thrilled to be her pal. And like, you know, it is as I get older, it's it's cool to have female friends who play music and who are kind of in the same boat as I am, because it's just an interesting perspective, I guess. But for me, really personally, it, it it's not something that I'm hung up on in that way at all. I just play. If I, you know, play or don't play, like, I'm just going to be me, whatever that is. And that could be, you know, <laughs> like, tomboyish girl, you know, neither here nor there, whatever. I don't think of myself as like, you know, uh, gender ambiguous at all. Like I think I come off as a girl, but like in my head, I'm definitely like just there for the music. If that makes sense. I'm not thinking of myself as a woman playing music. I'm not thinking of myself as, I want to supersede all of that. And I want to supersede like, you know, genre as well you know, I want to say, yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange thing I'm trying to put into words and it's difficult to kind of get there, but no, it makes total um, sense. And you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to hear from you, like how you see it. Cause I mean, we've acknowledged that, you know, females are less prevalent on stage and off and here totally. you are like fucking crushing life and the stage and, you know, leaving jaws agape in your wake. And I don't know, just, you know, this isn't some social justice shit. It's just like, I want to lift more women up, period.
1: I appreciate that. You know? I appreciate that. And I do too. And I hope my words don't come off as like, you know, I don't want to be flippant about any of that. I'm so here for it. didn't it. come off like, like that to me. Oh, good, 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 good. I just want to make sure like it's, it's not taken as such. And honestly, like if whatever it is that I do shifts the narrative and perspective of people who are stuck in their ways of thinking in thinking that, you know, certain things are only for certain types of people, then fucking A, like, bring it on. You know, that's that's the most important thing to me. Because people should do whatever they want to do. Is You know, I'm I'm a, a strong proponent of freedom, be it musical and that of the self. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the most important thing.
0: It comes out in the music, too. Um, in your music, there's a liberated sort of give no fucks, I'm going to play it like I feel it. Um, and I love that I love that in the in the context of the, when you when you take lead on like a butthole surfer song or when you're writing your own tunes um, playing them with your with Thanks. your buddies like there's few constrictions rules uh, if there's lines then they're colored outside of and you know again that's that confidence that sort of give no fucks attitude that is very
1: that's punk rock it's punk
0: yeah <laughs> yes it is yeah you
1: know. It's not coming out as it, but it comes from the energy. Something in the there, ethos
0: you know? is punk. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and that's the first. You know, again, my first band. We're we're talking punk. We're just like you know. No rules here. Let's not, you know, what? We got into this to follow rules? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) If I wanted to follow rules, I'd be a fucking white-collar criminal and I'd answer to some asshole. You know, like, I don't know. like (laughs) I'd be, like, working for the man if I wanted to follow some rules. This is rock and roll, baby.
0: (laughs) I think, like, that's really cool, the punk ethos. Even if you're not making punk anymore, you're approaching it with that DIY, like, trim the fat. Let's get right to it. Um, no, not the bells and whistles post-production, all that sort of gloss. Um, and I think that's almost exemplified in just, like, how you play the bass. I wanted to ask, because you brought up punk, you've got this lead fuzz bass thing going. Like, uh, which is, yeah. is a unique space in the sonic spectrum to occupy, especially in the jam world, but just in general. I mean, I'm sure, you know... There's elements of Phil Lesh and Les Claypool in that. But it, to me, I, you, you mentioned like Clutch before, or like even like the, the doom riffs of like a Sabbath or whatever. I hear that even in your sort of like indie pop music. Uh, where where is that coming from? Like uh, who inspired you to play lead fuzz bass? How do you approach it? Do you see yourself as like a lead bass player?
1: uh again this is part of my like you know no, no <laughs> you rules know, if i feel if i feel it i play it like i really no rules i don't like rules i really i really you know and i'm not like a heathen and i'm not a criminal you know but i don't like rules i'll tell you that much and i'm i'm a respectful decent human but you know when it comes to the base let me tell you um i'm gonna play it like i see it and um yeah so all of that like you mentioned totally comes from a geezer butler a cliff burton and more recently you know the guy from royal blood i don't know if you're familiar with those guys it's a bass and drum duo and he plays some of the sickest fuzz bass and whammy leads that you know he's blowing my mind these days his name right now which is a shame because he is absolutely slaying it and a huge influence to me and if you don't know those guys you should check them out they're ridiculous ridiculously cool um british very sick very very sick so yeah no all of that and just like again like i mentioned like i feel like at the top of the pod you know i'm f- first things first a fucking riff person yeah. like i am a th- thick 70s riff rock person like for better for worse you know and if you put me in that context like I do great in that context you know I have found myself in jam world which I'm so grateful for and it's fucking great but you know jam world teeters on jazz world right and I'll tell you in a jazz context Karina does not shine like (laughs) you know because uh you know again jazz I, of course people think of jazz as like you know of course you can color outside the lines of jazz and it's just you know it's improv baby but like you know that's that's a thing and I love jazz love you kid, listening to it oh my god and you know in high school totally playing it and of course you know still teetering on the edge but like when you put me in a jazz context, I fall flat. When you put me in a rock context, I I go up. And that's just, I think, because that's the cloth I'm cut from. And, like, you know, for better or for worse, a lot of those, you know, fuzz, bass lines, be them improvised or otherwise, they, they come from a rock place in my heart because that's where my love of music really started, you know? And so old habits die hard what can you say and i'm just again like you know cliff burton to me like my god like when oh, i yeah. first heard anesthesia like come on like that just did so much for me
2: i ready to get your teeth pulled i'm ready to do it cliff mr cliff burton all right <laughs>
1: Like Clutch, perfect example of some of the meatiest riffs. Yeah, I'm a riff lover. I'm a, I'm I'm a I'm a believer in the power of the riff. You and me and both. I think riffs, r- yeah. Riffs are 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 dance music too. Do you know? Like I know that sounds crazy, but to me, like sometimes, like you know, and I love EDM. I love electronic music and all that stuff and anything with a pulse or or otherwise, you know. But like to me, when I hear a good riff punctuated well with Proper groove and intention behind it—that's dance music. Oh yeah,
0: all the great house music jams have riffs. They're like bass lines, but that's a riff, and it and yeah, it drives absolutely. the groove, and that's what gets you off your ass. So I hear you. And I'll tell you, one that's of my it. prized possessions in life is my VHS copy of Cliff all which I got for my bar mitzvah in '91. Yes. Which you know yes. is just like this beautiful like love letter to cliff and has all these clips of him like wild and out a day on the green here in oakland playing lead bass on tour with ozzy for puppets you know like just classic lead bass you know rest in peace the great so Cliff Burton. Cool. so i love that you love Ugh. him like that because i do too and like i said i still have my uh, cliff and all vhs from shit 30 years ago this year crazy
1: that's crazy! I love that. Oh man, yeah, no, huge fan and and to extrapolate like even further, you know, I I'm a huge Getty Lee fan and I'm a huge uh, Chris Squire fan and I love that sort of just and a, and a Lemmy fan. Oh yeah, Come and on, Phil like,
0: Lina Thin Lizzy,
1: and Phil Lina forget it. I mean, absolutely no. I go really really deep on all you know just these classic you know rock metal whatever players you know and just I. To me, that's that's just the foundation of my love of music. So if it comes out in jam world as such, that's because that's where I come from, you know? And you got to come from where you come from. Yeah. So it, it's right there. Speaking
0: of jam it's world, right and I, you've been asked about this stuff a million times, I saved it for the end. But obviously I'm a, at heart, even through the metal and the hip hop and the funk, you know, a fish kid, you know, through and through. Um, and, you know, a lot of people glimpse of you sound checking the garden or you know there's a very popular video on YouTube where you're like interviewing Trey along with Tomato and Alex Skolnick for like a high school project and yeah. of course you've referenced in a number of interviews that you, had, you know family friend to the Anastasios so I just wanted to ask like was it what was first? Was it the relationship? Then you found the music? Were you already a fan before you got connected to them personally? And and just your experience?
1: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, friendship, then music. Okay. In a big way, in a big, big way. So I went to school with Trey's children, Bella and Eliza. Um, and, you know, we were just friends and You know, I don't. You can imagine in New York, in in this uh, school system, you know, everybody, you know, somebody has a brother who's friends with somebody, and their sister is good friends with the younger sibling of the blow. You know what I mean? It's just one of these kind of interconnected, intertwined uh, universes, shall we say? (laughs) So without going without going too deep on it, you know, uh, I had two very good friends. Who were also very close with the Anastasio kids and the families and whatnot. And anyway, we had our own little little circle going on. So I got invited to see Fish, the final show of the Jones Beach Run in two thousand nine. So that's I'm in ninth grade. Was that the
0: day it rained or the other day?
1: Oh yeah, it. Yeah, rained. I was there. It Holy hard.
0: shit. <laughs> yeah. <Totally.
1: laughs> I think
0: somebody like fell also from uh, from the second. St- you know, like the balcony. Oh, yeah. Tumbled. Yeah, yeah. That was a totally. wild day.
1: <laughs> Crazy time. Oh, yeah. You're telling me. You're telling me. What a way to kick things off. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, like, you know, up, and, up until then, like, you know, I didn't, like, I knew that their dad played music, you know, sort of. But, like, not really at all. I had no conception. I never heard fish. I had no idea. Wow. Any of it at all. I was just like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, I'll come, you know, or whatever. And got taken to jones beach and got literally you know sue anastasio the greatest human of all time trey's wife you know at the very end she kind of turns to all of us kids you know because we were you know the only people backstage you know it was a totally different time compared to the previous era and i just happened to be one of the kids that was like around for it as a friend of the family you know and she turned to all of us when they were they were encoring with A Day in the Life. And she went, all right, guys, when, when they hit their last note, you run, don't walk to the tour bus, run. And I'm like, of course, like this is the thrill of my life. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. You know? <laughs> I'm 14 or 15, like whatever it is. I just think this is so great. And I'm, you know, backstage watching from the side. Couldn't get a great read on the music, to be honest, just because, like you say, like it was raining like crazy it was more about like the bacchanalia of it all a little bit i was like wow i'm backstage at jones beach like this is crazy like what is going on your dad plays music in this band and the lights are awesome and all these people seem to know you know what's going on and think this is like you know i I was more just like kind of taking in the atmosphere you know and then they hit their last note and all the kids myself included we just run at the tour bus like they told us to and then yeah, after my first show, Trey's bus drove me to my parents' doorstep, like to my apartment building. And my doorman comes out and watches this tour bus pull up, and he's just like, Karina, that's how you in these days? And I was like, I think so. And it was just hilarious. And then about a week later, I got taken to Bonnaroo with them. And that was when it all clicked and cemented for me. In a way that I could never properly explain on a podcast or otherwise, but it, it was like probably one of the most pivotal moments of my young life, without a doubt. And, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but again, me and the kids, if you will, me, Bella, my best friend, Isaac, who I still live with, my roommate to this day, his younger brother, Nathan... And Eliza Anastasia, like we're all just like in the practice room watching Fish rehearse with Bruce Springsteen, and like oh, man. it's it's us and Danny Clinch, like that's it, you know. It's and like Trey's wife, and it was you know they're playing Proud Mary and Mustang Sally and Glory Days, and I'm just like, wow, this is absolutely crazy, and it's just dawning on me like how insane this all is. And we're sharing a backstage with Snoop Dogg, which like. To me, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. We're sharing a backstage with Snoop Dogg. You know, like I thought that was the coolest thing ever, which of course, saying it now, it is the coolest thing ever. Uh, I was right, even, you know, 13 years ago or however of long. Of course ago that it is. Was. But that's like. So that was next super level. crazy. Yeah. And, and my friend Isaac, you know, who was also. Love Isaac. Shout out Isaac. From, Isaac's, yeah, he's the best ever. And he, of course, like was also from this sort of, you know, interconnected New York City school scene. Uh, If you will, and like friends with the kids, meaning the Anastasio children, you know, when I say the kids, you know what I'm trying to say anyway, and whatever, but he was already very deeply into fish. And when I say deeply into fish, I mean, like, you've never heard a 14 year old talk so enthusiastically and methodically about a subject and then you heard fourteen year old Isaac talk about fish, and I would turn to him throughout the set. Like we would watch at the soundboard or side stage or bone or whatever, and I'd be like, Isaac, what are what is this? This song's amazing. He's like, This is punch you in the eye. You can go back and listen to New Year's ninety five version of this. You're gonna love it. Like I'm like, oh, and I'm making notes on my little BlackBerry <laughs> or whatever, and just like you know, like you say when I say that you know you were right when you say I have come at this anthropologically because I have. Like this is a huge study to me (laughs) and I know that sounds clinical and it's not it's also a lot about feeling and just you know
0: passion it's
1: it's a balance passion feeling etc but like to me learning about fish in that way and coming to it in just the most bizarre you know I explain this to people now and of course like you you don't you know it's it's (laughs) none of this is lost on me that like I had Trey as a mentor and not as directly obviously as, as Drywits and whatnot, but like, you know, the bands closest to me growing up, like Ween and Fish, you know? Fish and Ween in these crazy ways and just being privy to all of this in such a deep way and and, and absorbing and then, of course, after that, Bonnaroo, that was game over for me, lights out. Like, you know, Fish was my favorite band. I couldn't stop listening to Fish, couldn't stop learning the songs, couldn't stop transcribing, went to everything, you know. And I, I've seen over 100 shows just since then, since 2009. So that's a lot of show going in a short amount of time, if you will. Especially and,
0: since you're doing your own shows and general manager oh, of yeah. a business and 18 other projects and you got a yeah. hundred shows in, in a decade. I mean, you know, yeah, deep out, <laughs> respect.
1: Oh, listen. I mean, it just moved me in ways that like, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't have to explain it to you and I'm sure your listeners and our, our listeners, everybody, you know, I found myself in this world and, and of course it's the, it's the most insane thing ever to like. Then years later, you know, I start playing with Marco, and I'm backstage at Fish, like like always. And Trey's just like, "Oh my God, you're playing with Marco! How is he? Like that's my buddy, you know what I mean? And like the idea that I'm
2: in, <laughs>
1: like I'm in a band with a guy that Trey was in a band with, you know, and whatever is just so heady for my young mind. Who just you know, I just came. As a friend of Trey's kids, you know, I was just like a nerdy 15 year old obsessed with music, you know, and then got turned on to the fish world and then, you know, the greater jam, you know, (laughs) diaspora, whatever, you know, through all of that. And then I guess sort of became a part of it throughout all of that. And just that, you know, that concept is so absolutely insane to me. And it's like, You know, if you love something, and I loved that. I love fish. I love all this stuff. And I just, I don't know, I just, I said yes to a lot of things, you know. I was like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. I'm going to go to this, go to this, do that, do that, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, to look back on the last however many years it's been (laughs) and see the arc and the trajectory just of that, again, that I, you you can't script this shit. It's just unbelievably kismet, you know and i'm i'm getting too uh too deep on it right now but like it's just it's it's so um moving to me the way these people have stuck their necks out for me and and you know i i i just have picked up any seeds of what they've thrown down and put them into my own playing, and my own ethos, and my own, you know, the way Trey just, like, gets so excited about music, you know, like, I'm that excited about music, I'm about a a fraction as talented, but I am that excited about it, you know, and to be able to be around him, and, and same with Drywoods, like, people who are just moved by this shit, you know what I mean, and I'm moved by it as well, like, and whatever kernels that they were throwing down of wisdom, or just, like, little things, like, I just feel like I've I've internalized them, or tried to, and, you know, being around these guys and learning from them has been, you know, one of just the joys of my life, and I hope to continue, you know, to make music, and I'm not saying follow in their footsteps, that sounds weird, because it's not, that's not how I'm setting, like, you know, again, I'm not trying to conceive of it that way, and I don't conceive of it that way, but, you know, I've just been shown the light, and it's meant so much to me you know and i want to just continue to play and play and play and play and play because i've been surrounded by these people who have done just that and they've you know changed so many people's lives and not just musicians you know people have been touched by this music like i have you know i just happen to want to play it as well but you know it's a crazy thing to be a part of. And I'm not saying I'm like a part of it, but you know what I mean? I'm just like, this is this has touched me in, in such a profound way that I'm going to keep searching for whatever it is that has moved me in such a way for the rest of my life.
0: I love that. There's no such thing as too deep on the Up Full Life podcast. We love answers like that. <laughs> super profound Thanks, and man. from the heart. And yeah, we can all identify with it. I would also say that, yeah, you are a part of it. Maybe you're not a part of the fish band, but you are a branch on the tree of this whole diaspora, this whole community, multi-generational universe that we all exist in. And everybody plays their own little role in, whether it be from the stage to the rage, as I like to say. And, you know, you talk about those kind of mentors and passion and joy, like you remarked about how much joy Trey gets from just creating and performing. And I always would say when I would watch Drywitz, whether it was with Marco or Ween or J-Rad, just the childlike glee. That comes over Dave when he is in the zone and in the moment, and you know they bequeath that to you. You embody that same joy, passion, shit-eating grin, just vibing out on stage. It, it's it's a beautiful thing to behold, and you know we're lucky to just experience all the generations from Dave and Trey to you on down. And I wanted to also thank you for posting that junior workshop project with Tomato, Trey, and Skolnick because it's such an amazing, just you talk about musicology, anthropology, um, it's an amazing resource, it's an amazing look into three separate creators' minds, their approaches, and they spoke to you so directly without uh, sort of that pretension that you might get of musicians of Alex or Trey's caliber. I remember
3: during the 80s thinking this is the worst era of music, on on the history of earth, other than, even when I was there, you know the Bad Brains are these bands that kind of were like, oh well they're great, and then I was like talking heads, you know, oh well they're great, but still, but I was, had to be, I had to be, because I was in my 20s, like I was really hyper aware of it, and it was like 50 billion god awful crap, will you please turn that crap off songs. Buh, 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 buh. And now, nobody I don't even remember what they are. Right. But I do remember Prince. And I remember Talking Heads. And I remember p 52s And I remember, you know, you know Police. English Beat and I remember the specials. And I remember Bad Brains. And I remember all these great bands. Right? So I theorized. My theory is that it's always, always great music happening. Yeah always every and it's probably about the same amount.
1: How about that, right? I know and that was I had like, you know, thank you for post like, you know, I literally had to post that. That was my 11th grade project. Every kid had to do something, you know, and I was like I want to do this, you know, and I just had access to those 3 and I wanted to scrape their brains. So again like that's another amazing example of how open and direct those guys were with me from such a young age when I you know deserved n- nothing you know and like they had no reason to be so kind so open so willing and I'm I'm grateful I'm beyond grateful it's it's awesome and I'm so glad you've seen that that's so great oh yeah
0: I watched it a while um, back and then I watched it again this week when I knew this interview was coming up yeah it's oh, it's that's it's, awesome Aside from it being connected to you as an artist, just as a piece of you know musicology, history, perspective, it's a, it's a really valuable resource. I was gonna say maybe if you can dig it up, uh, some, I'd love to read the heavy metal research paper someday.
1: Oh, sure, totally, you know? totally. I'll see if I can find it, hey, absolutely. You
0: got the rest of our lives, just know, I'd, I'd love to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we could pick this up down the road. You've got a lot of irons in the fire. I have no doubt that there's a zillion projects on the way performances collaborations connect because that's your nature i was thinking you're like the kevin bacon here you have touched (laughs) so many different scenes and stages and you know generations communities so i have no doubt that we'll have a bunch of fresh content to discuss down the road but i want to thank you for you know giving me over an hour of your time on a friday I'm very grateful. Oh,
1: such a pleasure. Oh, come on. Thanks for reaching out. I'm so glad we could do this. And, you know, don't be a stranger. Anytime we can absolutely pick it back up.
0: I look forward to it. And most of all, I look forward to catching you on the stage, in your zone, whenever that may be next. I'm sure we'll cross paths sooner or later. But, uh, yeah.
1: I appreciate that.
0: You have a great weekend. And thank you again
1: such a pleasure you do the same thank you so much and uh, be well I'll see you somewhere down the golden road for sure
2: what this be
0: I want to say thank you and a deep bow of gratitude to Ms. Karina Reichman for that fascinating and inspiring and illuminating conversation her story is all her own quintessential New Yorker she's got her hands in a whole lot of hot sauce so stoked to be connected learned a whole lot from that powwow well, and i look forward to catching up with her again and she also sent me back down the thrash metal rabbit hole really where it all began for me she talked about her friendship with alex skolnick and he was the guitarist and is the guitarist for testament because he took some time off in between but testament was a titan in the thrash era the 80s and i remember seeing the video for this song nobody's fault which is an Aerosmith cover. It was on Headbangers Ball, probably like 90, 91, and copped that cassette, Testament, The New Order, from Columbia House for like a penny. Y'all know what it is, so. Had to dig back deep in my metal bag for this Testament. Shout out Alex Skolnick. Maybe he'll come on the show one day. I'd love to chop it up with him. But we've reached the end of episode 46, and like we always do about this time, the Vibe Junkie Jam. And you know what? I think I'm going to play another one from Karina. She likes to sing uh, a song called Pepper, which is a Butthole Surfer's cover. She performs it with Marco's trio, and it's kind of, uh, or was a trademark tune for her for a time, might still be. But uh, I always enjoyed when she'd step up to the mic and let it rip. I know somewhere Gibby Haynes is proud. And that's how we're going to wrap things up. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye. job bless. And we'll see you next time. Yes, indeedy.